0: I'm Imogen. I'm Lauren. And we are rounding up news from March about the bootcamp industry, and we have a ton to talk about, so we'll dive right in. Uh, Remember that we will publish this podcast along with all of the articles that we discuss in our resources section on coursereport.com. So spring is here. It's been a actually crazy busy month for coding bootcamps, so let's dive right in. What are we talking about,
1: ladies? So we're gonna start out talking about outcomes reporting and the SEER. And then we're gonna talk about getting hired and how
0: the tech labor market continues to change.
2: We'll also hear about real student experiences at bootcamp plus bootcamp founders, we'll hear from them as well as instructors who talk about why boot camps are needed.
1: And as always, we will be highlighting diversity initiatives. And this month there's a really interesting think piece from The Guardian about women in tech.
0: And we'll look at boot camps who are doing some really awesome things with and for their communities.
2: And of course, we'll tell you about all the new boot camps
1: that are popping up all over the place. And stay tuned until the end to hear about our favorite pieces on the Course Report blog. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So we're going to start out talking about CIIR. So we mentioned this briefly in our last podcast, um, but CIIR, which is actually an acronym, C-I-R-R, has officially launched and there has been a lot of press about it. So Liz, can you remind us what SEER is and why it's important right now? Yeah, so
0: SEER stands for the Council on Integrity and Results Reporting. Uh, It's a coalition of schools that have announced their commitment to publish student graduation and job placement data. Uh, What's special about this is that it's all going to be in a single standardized framework. So at course report, I think over the last years that we've been, that we've been doing course report, we've always stressed the importance of helping prospective students understand the potential return on their investment because there's a lot of time and money and effort that goes into a bootcamp. I think SEER is a great step in that direction, but there are also other organizations that are, that have similar goals as well.
1: Awesome. And what schools are actually
0: involved? So it's a group of fifteen schools. I won't name them all, uh, but they include Hack Reactor, Hackbright, Thinkful, Turing, and a few others. They're all pretty well known, well established schools.
1: That's so cool. And do the articles that were published this month mm-hmm. talk about kind of previous or other efforts to streamline outcomes?
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I think, you know, you can't really talk about outcomes reporting without talking about Nesta, which is uh, was kind of the bootcamp industry's first crack at, at streamlining outcomes, but has since fizzled. And then the TechCrunch article that was written about SEER this month points out that there's another watchdog organization Entangled Solutions, which is a higher education consultancy. And they actually say that they will include employer satisfaction in their evaluation of boot camps. So excited to see how that progresses as well. But Sierra is certainly the first and uh, pretty monumental. So very cool.
1: Yeah, and so when and where are Mm. we going to start seeing these SEER outcomes?
0: Yeah, so that's how course report is involved with SEER. You can expect to see those outcome summaries uh, and data around outcomes on course report school pages uh, next week. And remember that we will put those on school pages, but we still do value those independently verified outcomes reports that are released individually by schools like Flatiron and General Assembly who are not a part of SEER, but are still dedicated to, you know, sharing those outcomes. So those will also still be on the, on the school pages. And then if anyone's listening and wants to read more about SEER, any of those articles, I suggest the TechCrunch article and the Wall Street Journal piece that's by Doug Belkin this month. We'll, we'll put those in the resources section as well.
1: Awesome. Okay, Liz, well, thank you so much for that explanation. Now, talking about outcomes, it sounds like getting jobs after boot camps is a very hot topic right now. Of course,
0: <laughs> always. Um, in February, there were a couple of widely shared articles about coding as a quote unquote blue collar career and how coding boot camps can fit into that narrative. We talked about that in our last podcast. One of those articles was from Wired and another was from the Wall Street Journal. And that continued into March. And, you know, we think that this is a characterization of boot camps that we're going to hear about for a while. So we'll probably continue to talk about it in future podcasts. Imogen, how is the workforce and maybe even more importantly, the hiring pool changing in our current economy?
1: Yeah. So an article in CIO Dive was talking about the changing tech workforce and how, thanks to coding bootcamps, technology worker stereotypes may soon become less accurate. So, reporter Mary Catherine O'Connor looks at how demand for coders is rising across the country and not just in tech hubs. Mm-hmm. She talks to Bootcamp's careers team, who say that grads are getting jobs around the country in places like Kansas City. And she also, which is one of the most interesting parts of this article, she also looks at how potential future limits on the H-1B visa enforced by the Trump administration may force companies to hire and train local talent Mm -hmm. rather than getting them from overseas, which could further increase the need for boot camps and produce a more diverse workforce.
0: That's so cool. Wasn't there a similar article in USA Today about this?
1: That's right, yeah. So that article really dug into the fact that Trump is focusing on creating new jobs by bringing back industries like coal. But he doesn't seem to realize that there are actually thousands of unfilled jobs in the tech sector. This article says that there are 500,000 open computing jobs nationwide with only 43,000 CS majors graduating per year. And as DeVry University President Rob Paul says, The jobs are already there. So it's just a matter of training people to fill them.
0: Yeah, that debate about H-1B visas within tech is really interesting. There are such strong feelings on both sides of it. But I feel like you're totally right. In our current political climate, if companies are only allowed to hire within the country and there's a shortage of tech talent, then we have to start thinking about how we're going to retrain the existing workforce. So great. Interesting problem. So yeah, so we talked about that Wired article in February about how coding is becoming the new blue-collar job and how folks in towns that have been really hit by deindustrialization can potentially be retrained. And then this month in the Sydney Morning Herald, Catherine Armitage did a follow-up to that Wired piece and says that actually the same principle applies in Australia. They've seen a loss of manufacturing and mining jobs, and that means People are out of work and those people could be trained to be coders and programmers. Her angle there is that there is a stereotype that coding is for people who need, you know, 10 to 12 years of study and experience in order to build these like, you know, new breakthrough algorithms and super deep, comp- you know, solve super deep complex problems. But there are all sorts of technical needs. Uh, it's kind of ignoring, you know, a, all of the other roles that are in tech to just think that, you know, the only roles are available for people like with CS degrees or with tons of experience. She also talks to Ramon Nambiar, who is the managing director at Coder Factory, which is a coding bootcamp in Australia. And Ramon uses a building industry analogy. I really liked this. He says a building needs architects, engineers, and designers, but also a lot of builders and tradesmen. Just like that, software needs its architects, its engineers, its developers and designers, but it also needs an, an awful lot of coders to do things like quality checking and just building like very basic code. I thought that was a really nice analogy. Yeah. So HackerRank offered some supporting evidence that employers are coming around to alternatively educated programmers. Lauren, what did they find?
2: Yeah. So HackerRank is finding that boot camps and other alternatives to four-year degrees are starting to be seen as viable sources of talent for employers. So with these ongoing developer talent shortages, HackerRank... Yeah. Tell us what HackerRank is. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, it's a technical recruiting platform that assesses coding skills and matches developers with jobs. So HackerRank sees democratizing tech as the way developers will actually acquire these skills. So the CEO and co-founder of HackerRank, Vivek Ravisankar, quotes, it's more important than ever to realize that computer science degrees are not only the way to become a great developer. That said, training is only one part of the equation. If companies don't find new ways to find and evaluate candidates based on skill versus pedigree, then they'll continue to face a skill shortage. So basically this article really digs into the fact that colleges don't necessarily give you all the skills that you need to become a developer. They don't always focus on JavaScript, which is a really key language for the industry. And they also talk about the fact that if someone has a drive to learn the fundamentals and if they're a self-starter and they demonstrate computational thinking, they can become great software developers without that CS degree.
0: Yeah, that's great supporting evidence. Of course, though, not everyone has a rosy outlook, right? Imogen, did any journalists question this finding?
1: Yes. So a Tech Republic reporter is claiming that there is only shaky evidence that MOOCs, Massive Online Open Courses, and coding boot camps help graduates into programming careers. Reporter Nick Heath quotes a 2014 Coursera study which says that only 25% of people found MOOCs useful in finding a job. He talks to spokespeople from Microsoft and UK chip designer ARM, who say that coding bootcamp courses are, quote, rudimentary, end quote, Mm -hmm. and knowledge of computer science fundamentals is more important than knowing the latest coding languages. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah, so this reporter claims that only a minority of people who completed MOOCs offered by well-known providers have landed jobs on the back of their skills. He then criticizes Coding Bootcamp General Assembly and Udacity's job placement figures, saying that, quote, it's impossible to separate those landing new jobs from those who are returning to their employer.
0: Yeah, I I would say that that is certainly a case for why we need really clear and transparent outcomes reporting is that we know what types of jobs those graduates are coming into. But does Nick give any, like, actual advice, Imogen, or does he just say that we should, like, shut down all the MOOCs and boot camps tomorrow and, you know,
1: screw them? Right, so... Yeah, so he says that these MOOCs and boot camps can be useful for people who already have relevant experience or qualifications, mm. and they can really benefit from getting a new skill set from these, this type of education. But he suggests that in order to really benefit from a MOOC or a coding boot camp, students should build a portfolio that they can then show to employers and take part in hackathons, coding contests, and open source projects. But overall, I feel like this article was mainly about MOOCs than Mm. actual coding boot camps. And MOOCs usually don't offer as much personal guidance as boot camps, so they're actually quite different.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, I know that that article is a bit more geared towards MOOCs than actual coding boot camps, but uh, I think that while Nick Heath is criticizing the efficacy of boot camps, the Wall Street Journal actually covered a handful of boot camps that are building tuition back guarantees into their business models. I thought this was really interesting. This comes from Doug Belkin, who, as we know, if you read any of the articles in this uh, boot camp roundup, he covers coding boot camps pretty often and quite thoroughly. The boot camps he covers in this article, uh, first is Flatiron School, which does have a job guarantee.
1: Right, but that's just their online program. That not is in-person
0: Totally one. true. Yeah, it kind of the article kind of makes it seem like it's their New York campus, but it is only their online course. And then he talks about Learner's
1: Guild as well. And that's more of like a deferred tuition, right? Rather than an actual money back.
0: Yeah, you're totally right. That's a deferred tuition payment model like Grace Hopper Academy or App Academy, you may have heard of those. Yeah. And then the third one he talks talks about is Thinkful, which has a money back guarantee. If students don't find a job within six months, that's an online school. And Imogen, thank you for pointing those out about Flatiron and Learning Learners Guild. Uh, for the most part, I think we've seen in-person schools actually sunset their job guarantees due to regulatory concerns, usually. Um, online schools don't face those regulatory concerns, so they are still able to offer guarantees. But our reminder to any students who are enticed by a job guarantee is to read those terms and conditions because they are usually pretty thick. So we heard a lot from boot camps themselves, hacker rank, some labor experts. Are there any student perspectives about getting jobs after a coding boot camp this month?
2: Yeah, Jeanette Adelson, who is a General Assembly alum, wrote a really great piece um, in Dev.2 about the six ways to make sure that you're successful after a boot camp. So I'm going to run through those six ways. Please really quickly. do. So, number one, make a burn down chart and have a backup plan. So, she talks about making sure that you have a plan B. So, if you have this ideal job in mind that you want to get, if you don't get that within a month or two months, have a backup plan of or broaden your search to figure out what jobs you you would also be interested in. Number two, You have to practice if you really want it. So, learning doesn't stop at boot camp, and you should be prepared to code on your own to improve your skills. She quotes, What I realize is that I've been given a thousand keys to a thousand doors. So much of learning to code and continuing to learn to code is learning to teach yourself to code. So, that's a really nice quote. Yeah, it's really important to understand to do it on your own. Number three, don't forget that you're unique. So, don't get discouraged when you're searching for jobs and thinking that you may lack certain skills just because you don't have a computer science degree, be confident in your past experiences and be able to tell your story and show why you deserve that new job. Number 4, apply with purpose. Know what job roles you really would enjoy working in and stop applying to jobs that you don't think that you would enjoy. Yeah. Um, it will show in your interview. Number 5, network, network, network. You guys Cannot all know. That enough. Right. Yeah. You guys know what that means. And number 6, everyone's journey is different. So don't compare yourself to other people. If it t- took them 1 week to find a job, it may take you 2 weeks. Like you never know how long the search process will be. So stop comparing yourself to others so I thought those were really great points
0: I love those points and it's really nice that it came from an actual student yeah
2: it was really cool um so speaking of that student experience let's dive into other student stories where we saw that they were highlighted in the
1: news so Imogen what did you find? So another guest post from an alum actually was what I read. It was in tech.co and it was by a galvanized San Francisco grad. She was talking about her background in biology research and how she wasn't enjoying it. And then she decided to try coding because she'd liked a random Java course that she'd taken at university. And so she highlights the intensity of the galvanized course and how absolutely nothing can prepare you for the amount of work you have to do to actually be successful in a coding boot camp. She was doing seven-day, 80-hour weeks. Mm. Um, and then she also talked about her job search and how she found that some companies are quite wary of boot campers, or they actually required CS degrees. But now she has a great job at Redfin. Um, and that company was more interested in her motivation and her drive than in what sort of Qualifications she had. Didn't we talk to another bootcamp grad who got a job at Redfin? That's right, yeah. I talked to Laurel, who was a graduate of Hackbright Academy, also in San Francisco, and her background was in financial research and liberal arts. So yeah, Redfin seems to like boot campers. Yeah,
2: <laughs> go Redfin. So Liz, you read up on boot campers in Washington, D.C. What was going on there? Yeah,
0: there are a couple of boot camps in D.C. and the publication DCNO talked to six coding bootcamp grads in the D.C. area to hear about their experiences and um, and also their outcomes they included five GA grads, general assembly grads, and one iron yard grad with, uh, they all had jobs at the department of commerce, the Washington post, it concepts, a company called caliber systems and skyline technology systems. So a huge array there. Yes. Um, I really liked that they focused on recent and not so recent grads. So one of the very recent grads is still looking for a job and talked about her experience with that. And then another who had graduated in 2014, has had his job at Caliber for a couple of years. Um, so yeah, that article was about a handful of DC bootcamp grads. But Lauren, there was an Inc. Magazine article in March that highlighted one alum in particular. Who was that?
2: Yeah, they talked about Adam Cornfield, who is the co-founder and CTO of Baron Fig. So Baron Fig is a company that makes notebooks and other really cool tools for thinkers. And Adam talks about the reasons why he decided to attend Turn to Tech. Um, he,
0: why, why did he decide to attend Turn well, to Tech? actually. Where did he find it? He actually
2: found Turn to Tech on Course Report, nice. everyone. <laughs> Um, And so it was really great. He wanted to be able to communicate with his developers at his company about the latest technology and have a a better understanding of new trends. So in this article, he encourages others to not balk at extra study because having more knowledge will earn you more respect in your field. I love that. Well, that was a pretty short blurb in Inc. Magazine, but Lauren,
0: you actually got to talk to Adam earlier this year for the Core Support blog. So everyone should read that uh, that Q&A as well if you want more.
2: Info about Adam. Yes, please check that out. So we talked about the job guarantee at Learner's Guild mm-hmm. a few minutes ago. Imogen, what are the students at Learner's Guild up to?
1: Yeah, so Learner's Guild launched in San Francisco last year, and KQED News profiled a student there. So, just a reminder, Learners Guild is a 10 month program. It's in Oakland, California, and it offers students a deferred payment plan and a monthly stipend. And students learn through building projects together.
0: And it was founded by DBC founders, right? Dev Bootcamp mm.
1: founders? That's correct, yeah. Sharif Boucher is the main founder. And cool. Um, this article talked to one student called Vashti, and she was talking about one of the reasons she chose Learners Guild was because of this p- payment plan and the stipend that was offered. Um, it, it was it meant that she was able to learn to code, whereas if she had she wouldn't have been able to afford to go to some of the other boot camps, which require upfront payments or a loan. Um, and so. This article also talked to Learners Guild president, Ian, who says that this payment model actually removes barriers and allows women and people of colour into tech. He said that so far at Learners Guild, 50% of students have been African American and Latino, and 35% have been female. Wow, that's great, Imogen. It's we
2: always get so many outside perspectives in the news about boot camp, so it's always nice to hear from the actual students. Totally, yeah. I mean the students are who actually
0: matters here, right? Totally mm-hmm, agree.
2: Definitely. Were there any boot camp founders or instructors featured in March News?
0: Yes, and you can actually listen to both of their stories because they're both in podcast form. Um, <laughs> the Breaking into startups podcast, which we have mentioned a couple times in the past, interviewed Michael J. Walker, who is the chief academic officer and campus director of Dev Boot camp, uh, I think in San Francisco. Ooh, yeah. Michael talked about how he quit his day job in marketing as a CMO. He has like, a ton of past experience. He was fifty years old when he quit his job to learn to code with te- with kids in their twenties. So I figured it would either enhance his current career or introduce him to a completely new career. Uh, so he we went through Dev Bootcamp. He talks really similarly, Imogen, to what you were talking about with the galvanized student. He said it was eighty hours a week for twelve weeks. You know, he talks about sort. of how he kept up with the pace as a later career changer. And now he's actually working for Dev Bootcamp. So very cool story.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, And I also listen to a podcast. Mm -hmm. We've got quite a bit of competition going on. (laughs) I know, right? Um, And this podcast was on Columbus Underground. Um, Their podcast is called Confluence Cast. And they interviewed Tech Elevator CEO Anthony Hughes about the program and why Columbus is a good market for them to be teaching coding. Um, he talks about why he founded it. And he talks about his own experience where he was trying to launch a startup but was having trouble finding good tech talent. And then he talks about how Tech Elevator has a 98% job placement rate within 120 days of graduation and how the students are getting jobs at places like Progressive Insurance, Highland Software, J.P. Morgan Chase, Pillar and ICC. He says, interestingly, which is a little bit in conflict with some of the other articles we've talked about today, that employers do see tech elevator grads as equivalent to CS grads, which is great for for those grads. But he worries that there is a lack of career prep at colleges, Mm -hmm. and he talks about his own experience not getting very good career prep, and he feels like boot camps are filling that spot as well. It's quite a long podcast. Cool. So if you finish this
0: episode and you need further listening, those are two episodes to download for your commute. (laughs) Okay. So every month we talk about diversity initiatives at schools. And usually those are scholarships, right? We hear all the time about $500 scholarships, even full scholarships to boot camps. Those are all awesome in increasing that accessibility to boot camps. But there were a few articles in March that really stood out and dug really deep. um, And those were about programs that are going beyond scholarships. So, Lauren, the first one was about a really neat partnership between Howard University, which is a historically black college, and Google. You want to tell us
2: about it? Yes. Um, So, it's no secret that Silicon Valley has a diversity in tech problem. And here are just a few stats for you guys. In 2015, it was reported that Black people accounted for 4% of the workforce in tech, and then Latinos accounted for 7% of the workforce. And in 2016, only 2% of the Google workforce was black. Yikes. So, yeah. 2%. That is. This is some pretty low numbers. Insane. Yes.
0: Okay. What are they doing about it? So,
2: in order to increase diversity, there's a new Howard University campus that's opening at Google's Mountain View headquarters. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. (laughs) So, it's it's an initiative to really encourage Black and Latinx students to consider coding as a career, and like Liz said, Howard University is a historically Black university, and they are based in Washington, D.C. This new campus will be called Howard West, and it's going to offer 12-week programs to Howard juniors and seniors who are majoring in computer science, and the program will be taught by Google engineers and Howard faculty covering the latest advancements in technology. The program's going to launch this summer 2017. And then they hope to expand the program to other historically black colleges in the summer of 2018.
0: That's so cool. I mean, obviously that's not a traditional coding boot camp. It's, you know, for students that Mm -hmm. are at Howard already, but it's kind of a glimpse, I feel like at how the bootcamp model can work at a university Mm -hmm. um, and in the real world. And I think we hear that debate all the time between CS degrees and practical boot camps. Uh, But this kind of proves that universities are getting smart about that practical education that their students need. Even if they are pursuing a CS degree, they're realizing that they need a little bit extra, you know, career prep and real world experience. It's really cool. Okay, Imogen, so we know that 40% of bootcamp grads are women, but The Guardian is a bit critical of the idea that that will actually have any impact in the real world, right? What's their argument?
1: Yeah, so earlier this month, they published an article with a rather controversial headline, quote, we can teach women to code, but that just creates another problem, end quote. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Guardian contributor and UCLA digital humanities teacher Miriam Posner explores the theory that by occupying certain tech roles, women are devaluing them. Apparently, this has happened in other industries historically. When women enter a role, the value of that role and the pay for that role goes down. She also talks about hierarchy between front-end and back-end and how women are typecast as front-end developers. Um, and that is a problem because back-end developers generally do earn more. So I'm wondering what you guys think of this. Do you think this is true? Well, there's a
0: there are a couple arguments here, right? I think mm-hmm. that the assertion that women or self-taught developers that are, you know, flooding the tech industry is going to devalue salaries or the worth of those roles is a tad flawed. I mean, obviously the wage gap that's divided on gender is extremely real, Mm -hmm. but we hear that argument all the time that if boot camps succeed, then graduates flood the market. But that ignores the, I think the shortage of labor in the U S right now, right? There are hundreds of thousands of open tech jobs in the U S and that continues to grow. And let's just keep in mind that there are 18,000 bootcamp grads each year entering that market. So, you know, thinking that those 18,000 grads and 40% of of those being women is going to flood the market and devalue those jobs is a, a little bit, Hyperbolic. Um, yeah,
2: that's definitely a stretch. But I do think that the front end versus back end mm-hmm. discussion—that's kind of interesting. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think totally. The
0: stereotype of like left brain versus right brain really gets entrenched in programming uh, when we think about like UX designers and front end developers versus those like back end database guys. And it actually reminds me of something that a graduate a bootcamp graduate told me. Laura Mead from Dev Bootcamp. I was asking her about uh, how boot camps graduating more women into the workforce uh, will start to sort of affect that workforce or impact the face of the tech workforce. And she reminded me that these bootcamp graduates are going into junior roles, right? That was a few years ago when we were talking about that. and now that we are three years in, we're kind of seeing those junior developers graduate into senior roles and into positions of power and uh so i think that even if miriam's argument was true 2 years ago it's it's sort of changing as as boot camp grads move up in the world
1: yeah it's almost um like it's going to go back to how it was before i think you guys have both seen hidden figures right so we all know that women were the ones who were the coders at the beginning of of computers so yeah and And this article also does look at whether coding boot camps are a solution to the gender gap in tech. And a historian called Marie Hicks says no. She thinks that because the pipeline is not actually the problem, it's the lack of meritocracy in the industry, which is the problem.
0: Yes, this is, you know, it's a really interesting article. I think uh, despite this article, you know, representation is hugely important in any industry. So getting more women, a seat at the table uh, in tech companies puts them in the position to move up, to contribute, move the needle. I recommend that anybody read this for themselves. For sure. Miriam Posner in The Guardian. Cool. So switching gears a tad, uh, Lauren, we talked about the bootcamp program at San Quentin in the past. Do you have an update?
2: Yeah. So Megan Rose Dickey, gives us an update in TechCrunch. The Last Mile, which is a coding boot camp inside San Quentin Prison in San Francisco, just graduated their third cohort of students. Um, And they also had a demo day for programmers and designers within the San Francisco area in March. So the boot camp is focused on teaching entrepreneurial skills like coding and web design to those who are incarcerated. The Last Mile is in partnership with the California prison industry, Authority in the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. This last cohort that they graduated, it was 18 prisoners, and they learned skills in HTML, JavaScript, CSS, Python, data visualization, and UX, UI design. So extremely relevant. like um, Yeah, definitely. skills. That's amazing. And it was really cool because TechCrunch highlighted um, a few of the prisoners. Um, one was Thomas Winfrey. He was actually sentenced to life and had been in prison for 20 years, and he was the only student out of this cohort who studied two of the tracks simultaneously, web development and web design, and he was actually accepted into the Last Miles Entrepreneurship Program, which is a separate program from the web development course. The article talks about how he was actually told by the parole board that he's actually going to be suitable for release this May with all the work that he's been doing in this program and just good behavior. So really, really great program, and I think it's really great work that they're doing. So cool. Yeah, I, good I, on them yeah. turning their lives around. Yeah. Words, smile.
0: I think they started that with Hack Reactor too. Oh, okay. So, yeah.
2: So cool. Yeah. So Imogen, what's going on with
1: Code Platoon? Right, so um I think we've we have heard about Code Platoon before, but I want to talk about it again because they, you know, they're doing such great things and, and it's we just want to highlight them as much as we can. So this latest article was um, in the Medill News service, which is the a part of Northwestern University. Um, and it's about how veterans are getting into tech through coding boot camps. Um, code Platoon teaches veterans how to code in 18 weeks at a very discounted rate. It costs only $2,500 for for veterans, which is compared with an average tuition on our own report of $11,450. So it's a very good deal for them. And the article looks at the lack of veterans in the coding industry and how 65% of veterans leave the military without a job. And the reporter talks to one veteran who actually doubled his pay by going through Code Platoon. And they also talk to partner companies about why they like recruiting veterans from Code Platoon. These people, as veterans, even though they may not have work experience outside the military, they still have very applicable, useful skills. And when you add coding to that, they become very hireable, in-demand people. Totally.
0: Yes, go Code Platoon.
1: And so I'm always obviously glad to hear about these efforts going on but there are so many great efforts going on in the coding bootcamp world I just we just always want to talk about them and especially when they're wanting to help people from different backgrounds get into coding so Lauren what other interesting things have you heard that boot camps are doing right now
2: yeah Tom Tarula tells us about this new Swedish startup and in business insider so Tajar Kodar is a new Swedish startup in partnership with Sweden's leading tech companies, and they're offering a week-long coding trip abroad for women. So this company, Tajar Coder, was founded by Hannah Peterson and Sandra H- Hin Song in 2015. And basically, ladies can go on these trips together and groups of women and they can discuss code, system architecture without any limitations. They take trips to places like Barcelona and Berlin. They brush up on their tech skills um, and they visit local tech companies. And some of the companies that they have been visiting, have been iZettel, Paradox Interactive, and GitHub. And they're soon going to start expanding to weekend boot camps within Sweden and as well as evening courses. So cool. it's a really cool initiative.
0: Sounds like fun. You yeah. like, go on a week long trip. Yeah, the article,
2: the article talks about uh-huh. why not code and have some wine in Spain or something like that. It was really cool. It
1: sounds amazing, and it's a really great way to, to keep women interested in, in tech. Sure. sure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and Liz, what other industries are starting to use the boot camp model?
0: Oh, yeah. So we know all about this because we... Uh, do a rise of the bootcamp model study every year, and look at how the bootcamp model is being applied to other digital skills. But uh, the Street wrote an article that looked at how boot camps are teaching more than just coding now. Uh, they used. A lot of our data, so a lot of overlapping things there, but um, talking about data science, UX, UI design, and cybersecurity, it actually seemed like they were most interested in cybersecurity as a category. Uh, Even though it's technically the smallest category in terms of number of graduates, it is always really interesting when a completely new uh, category of boot camps emerges.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And we've heard before about how in-demand cybersecurity mm-hmm. skills are. Yeah, right? for so sure. It's great that there's a new there are new ways for people to get those skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and talking of getting people interested in tech, I was interested to hear about an event that was teaching 500 people to code in one day recently. Oh yeah, is that that's in Canada? HTML 500. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Cool. So coding bootcamp Lighthouse Labs, which has um, campuses around Canada, held its first HTML 500 event of the year on March 11th in Vancouver. And so they actually had 500 people in one room. I saw some of the photos on Twitter. It looked crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all learning how to build a personal website using HTML and CSS. And they also learned about rubber duck debugging. They gave out little rubber duckies to everyone at the event to talk to while they were trying to debug. It's funny. Um, so it made for great social media posts. Um, and yeah. <laughs> Everyone seemed excited, and, and I'm really hoping that these people are going to go on to use code, in, lots of code in their jobs, and maybe even go to a boot camp. Yeah. yeah. I, well, we've
0: talked to students and graduates of boot camps, or at Lighthouse Labs mm-hmm. in particular, that started at HTML500 and then like, realized that they loved it and took the full course. So
1: That's yeah. such a good idea. Um, and how else are coding boot camps helping people get into tech, Lauren?
2: So, the Yes We Code fund was announced at South by Southwest this month. So, this is a $100 million fund that's going to give coding bootcamp scholarships to women and minorities with financial need. So, this is a collaboration with the Iron Yard, Code Fellows, We Can Code It, Operation Hope, Opportunity Ecosystem, Climb Credit, Tech Square Labs, and Yes We Code, which is an organization that was Founded by Van Jones and Prince. Oh, yes.
0: thanks, Prince. Prince.
2: <laughs> so we actually give the scoop on this fun on the blog in great detail. So check it out; it's a really great piece, and it's really great that they have this fun. Yeah, to be and able the to collaboration increase. between the boot camps is so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, See them all working together. So next, we want to talk about partnerships between coding boot camps and universities. So, Imogen, what's going on with DevPoint Labs?
1: Yeah, so DevPoint Labs has partnered with the University of Utah to offer the, their full time bootcamp for students and grads. So the first class starts on May 15th, 2017. It's taught by DevPoint Labs instructors. It's 11 weeks long and covers full stack web development, including Ruby on Rails, JavaScript, React, jQuery, and Postgres. Um, it also offers career services and costs $9,995 and it's held at the University of Utah campus. Um, And I was looking at their website because I just wanted to kind of compare how this offering is different from um, their their existing offerings, and I see that it looks like this course is actually replacing their original full-time web development program. Um, So they're only offering part-time courses at the original DevPoint Labs campus. Mm.
2: Okay. I found out that University of Kansas and Overland Park is launching a boot camp in partnership with Trilogy Education. So the number of web dev positions in Kansas City is actually, well, it's expected to grow by 27% by 2024, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. And the Mid-America Regional Council projects computer occupations to be Kansas City's second highest category of net job growth from 2016 to 2026. You always
0: hear those stats on a uh, U.S. scale, but it's really cool to hear that on a state
2: scale. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So I guess this is why they picked (laughs) this area. Right. So the KU Coding Bootcamp accommodates schedules for working professionals. They have two classes during the week, which will be offered 6:30 to 9:30, and then they're gonna have classes on Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And that first class starts June 12th. And students will also receive a range of career planning services, portfolio reviews, recruiting assistance, and extensive staff support to help them find that next tech job. So very cool that they're starting that up.
1: Yeah, and then another partnership is Software Guild. Bootcamp camp is partnering with kent state university oregon state university and the university of georgia and these partner universities will offer software guilds 10 to 14 month online program which is taught by software guild instructors the course requires students to spend 20 hours per week learning in a collaborative environment which is also flexible on pacing
2: imogen didn't you interview
1: someone who did a that software guild online program. Yeah, so the, she she didn't do the um, the one in collaboration with the universities, but yeah, she did the online program, which I think is going to be the same as what these universities will be offering. Um, her name is Sarah okay. Abbott, and she managed to do the entire program while working full time as a flight attendant and being a single mom. Wow, so talk <laughs> about commitment.
0: Yeah, for That's real. Great. Alright, let's talk about new boot camps and some boot camp updates and actually a couple that seem to be downsizing too.
2: Yeah, so there's a new tech training center opening in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Well, they they just opened. It's an intensive 10-week training through Employee Milwaukee's new Tech Hire IT training program. So there's a $1.2 million Tech Force Training Center Fund, and this is a part of the city's new push to boost training for technology jobs, and it was developed with the help of the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. And this training is going to be led by Employee Milwaukee, as well as the fact that it's going to be in the center called Blue 1647, which is a technology development center. So, new new things are on the rise for Milwaukee, yeah. Wisconsin. Well,
0: we always hear about growth of boot camps, but I think it's also important to point out when schools are cutting back. So a couple stories here, Coding Dojo has cut 10 jobs in line with their goal to shift to a, quote, leaner organizational structure. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is from GeekWire. They have claimed to be experiencing significant growth and plans to expand to more cities. And then according to Social Tech, Coding Dojo has delayed the opening of a new campus in Orange County they were supposed to open March 20th but they are delaying that opening.
1: And another boot camp which is slightly downsizing is the Iron Yard. A number of publications were reporting on the Iron Yard's San Antonio campus clothing. They graduated their last cohort of eight students there on February twenty fourth, and campus director Stephanie Guerra says she expects all those grads to get hired by local employers.
2: How
0: long was that campus open in San Antonio?
1: It was actually just under a year. It opened in April two thousand and sixteen, and. Yeah, it's basically closed now. And it's not actually the only Iron Yard location closing. They announced a little while ago that the school would be reducing the number of campuses from 20 Mm. to just 15. Um, And other campuses closing include the Minneapolis St. Paul campus in Minnesota, the Columbia campus in South Carolina, and the campus in Cincinnati, Ohio. Hmm.
0: Well, these are businesses. It is important to recognize when you need to close a campus or downsize on employees. Lauren, what bootcamps do we add to the course support directory this month in March?
2: Yes, we've got a few. So Accelerate in Hong Kong, Lambda School, which is online, Mindtech Academy, which is online, Coding School at Thought STEM in San Diego, University of Kansas Coding Bootcamp in Overland Park, University of Utah Professional Education Coding Bootcamp in Sandy, Hunter Business School, which is in Long Island, New York, Q College, which is in Victoria, British Columbia, and then GTT Academy, which is in various cities across the U.S., Canada, Europe, South Africa, and India.
1: All right. Yep, all over the world as <laughs> usual. Very cool. So it has been a really busy month, but we have just enough time to hear about everyone's favorite pieces to write for the Course Report blog. Yay. Woo, yay. We publish new content every week, so there is a lot on there. So, Lauren, what was your favorite piece?
2: I really enjoyed my interview with Susan Gleason. She's oh, no. an alumna of Startup Institute Boston. So, Susan had a computer science degree and 15 years of industry experience. Um, but she left the workforce to care for her family for a few years. Re- it was really interesting to talk to her because Susan left the tech workforce before the internet is the internet as we know it today. So it's a really big transition to come back in, into the tech workforce. I think that's a story, uh, you
0: know, pretty common experience of people taking a break, having a gap in their resume, and then wondering mm-hmm. how to re-enter uh, the like, tech industry. And Susan totally did it. So
1: congrats. Cool. And then, Liz, what was your favorite article?
0: My, well, I always love doing video interviews because I think it's just really fun to share that that whole conversation with our readers. Uh, and I got to talk with a little panel about the METIS application process. So I was joined by Amy Ramnath, who does admissions for METIS, which is a data science bootcamp, and then two alumni, one who's working at Facebook and one who's working at um, Etsy. So super legit jobs. Uh, if you've ever had questions about how to apply to the data science bootcamp METIS or what it takes to get accepted, Check it out.
1: Yes, I like that piece a lot. And then I was really intrigued and excited to interview a Syrian refugee this month. She her name is Senders and she is learning to code at a boot camp in Beirut in Lebanon. She told me about how she had escaped from Syria at age 14 with her family, and now she's turned 18. She's enrolled in college, studying physics, and she's learning to code part-time at V-School, wow. um, which is a coding boot camp that launched here in the U.S. and now has a campus in Beirut.
0: So inspiring. I loved I loved reading Sendasa's story. All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to the March Course Report News Roundup. We appreciate you listening and we love feedback. So email us at hello at course if you have feedback. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help other future boot campers find it by going to iTunes, subscribing to the Course Report podcast and leaving a review. We will see you next month in the April News Roundup. Bye. Bye.